Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, hello and welcome to Optus Sports' first ever episode of The Gagan Pod. Our brand new football podcast. David Weiner here, thrilled to join you for some football fun for your commute, wherever you get your podcast fix. And much like the name suggests, Jurgen Klopp's Gagan Press, high intensity, high pace. We promise, or we'll try at least, to have the heavy metal football podcast version of that style of football with 45 minutes to an hour of passion. And we'll be very direct on the counter attack and in our football debates. There's no better time to kick off than off the back of six days straight of a live Nations League broadcast on Optus Sport, where we've absolutely binged on brilliant football theatre. We'll touch on that in detail shortly with former Liverpool legend and German legend Didi Haman, plus all the major talking points from Australia, and aren't there some, and abroad. But to do that, we've got a gun team assembled here at Optus HQ. Mel McLaughlin, welcome. Dave, what a pleasure it is to be here, and what a great intro from you. After six days of Nations League, I can't believe I even got close to getting that out. Now, the Sydney Morning Herald's latest recruit, Gun Journal, I've used that twice in a couple of seconds, and social media guru, Vince Rigari. Yeah, g'day, mate. How you going? Right. You, got, you, mate, you got your recruitment all wrong, I reckon, if you want high intensity, high pace. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'll give it a crack anyway. Brilliant. Well, and a gun panel as well. Oh, yeah. Talk it up. A lot of guns in this room. Absolutely. Very I'm, dangerous. As you can tell after... <laughs> After six days, the adrenaline's pumping, and I'm and I'm really excited for what we've got. Particularly, you have bullets, though. I've got bullet points here, but we're going to be firing a lot of bullets. Nice. We're going to be going hard. We're going to be going hard, and one man to help us do that is a man who makes social media stop in its tracks a couple of times a week with his cartoons. Not well. Guardians not David Squire not in a well. good way. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm well, thanks. I'm as well. I'm not, I'm not sure about this high pace thing. I think um, I recently did uh, another podcast after which. A friend of mine sent me a message and asked if I had, quote, smoked a fat one before I'd gone <laughs> I probably should have read you the fine print of the names disclaimer before we brought you in them, but no, we're going to give that a crack. And as you can see, you know, we've gone for the name Gag and Pod because, well, it's something different. We want some fresh voices, fresh ideas for your, your Australian football discussion. And Mel, I mean, we, we're shooting some names around and we're going to go with the Park the Bus podcast. But, uh, you know... Mourinho, we're not going no. down that line. It reminds at me too all. much of it, something too close to home. But what I love about the name is it implies that we're elitist football fans, but we're actually far from that. So, and also, you're going to steer a lot of people to Google who aren't aware of what exactly it means. So, well, if you do Google Gag and Pod, you're not going to get anything because it doesn't exist. We've just created that from <laughs> scratch. But if you are doing some research, it is the Gag and Press. And well, we thought we could go Tiki Taka. The Tiki Taka podcast. We've oh, got it all parked in bus. charge. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, we don't want to pass ourselves to oblivion by the end of the game, and we've got to keep the stamina going. And I was thinking what else there could be from the top of the Premier League. Sari ball. And I thought, well, bloody hell, I'm the host. I'm not calling it Wiener ball. So we're going to move <laughs> on to the Gagan pod, and that's what we're going to start with. Um, and uh, each week, when we kick off, we just want to know a little bit about what you've been doing each week. And my God, there's been some stuff on happening this week. So, I mean, Mel, what's, what's been your football experience over the last. You know, the last seven days. Uh, well, of course, the Nations League, the UEFA Nations League, live and exclusive to Optusport. Sitting on the couch, always a pleasure. Um, I, I guess Rich and I both do that, and Saturday morning was a, was a fun one. Um, but on top of that, I must say, and I know we're going to talk about all this, but the Socceroos last night, I was unexpectedly, I, I felt really quite emotional. I know it was about... You know, Tim, of course, but it was just thinking about the whole era, thinking back to 2005, obviously before that as well. But I just, you know, felt very nostalgic and um, I don't know, maybe a bit sad just thinking about those glory years, which they were. Well, confess, I mean, we, how many, his goals were doing the rounds yesterday and during the week and you, you never get sick of watching those and you just think sliding doors, what happens in 2006 if we don't get that brace you know, where are we all right now in a way? So it, it was an emotional night and we will touch on that a, a little bit later. Dave, what, what about you? What have you been up to? Yeah, the Nations League has taken up a lot of my 
my attention. Obviously, I'm English, so it was it was a good week for me, and I think we're going to chat about that a bit later. But uh, as I get a bit older, I get a more bit more sentimental about things. So uh, I wasn't quite as an emotional about about Timmy as you were, but. Um, I, I've often felt, you know, a lump in my throat at ANZ Stadium when I see the queue to get out at the end. Just, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to be home until 1am. Um, but just this morning watching Scotland versus Israel, there was a nice moment where, uh, or there was a moment where the Israel players took off their, their jackets and gave it to the, the mascots on a freezing night in Glasgow. And uh, I hope the UEFA come down hard on that kind of um, disregard for protocol. Um, so I expect a, a points deduction. And we wouldn't put it. We wouldn't put it past them. What about what about you, Vince? Mate, my football experience of the week. There was not a football in sight, unfortunately. Yeah. But just sitting in the uh, FFA AGM on Monday uh, was a quite a surreal experience to see all the big hitters, movers and shakers in the game in one room, doing their deals in real time, gossiping, whispering, moving around, trying to get stuff done. It was actually, from a pure people watching perspective, fascinating. Uh, and uh, yeah, would have been nice if there was a football in there somewhere. I don't know, just pass the time between uh, ballots, just a little bit of uh, five aside or something. I don't know. Well, there were cones. There was. There were. Where did? Where were you to survive the the roof falling in? And we don't mean that metaphorically at no, all. No, no. I'm sure we'll get to this in great detail a little bit later on. But I was a few meters away, um, and very fortunate to not get any uh, debris from uh, the the roof caving in fall on me. That was. Yeah, that was the exclamation mark on the day, I reckon. So symbolic, so symbolic. We will touch on that a bit later. Now, we've got lots to tuck into of the great stuff we bring on off the Sport Nations League, Premier League. The Champions League returns next week. But closer to home, obviously, the Socceroos wrapped up, would you believe it, the last two friendlies they're going to play before the squad is announced for the Asian Cup, backing up that one-all draw with South Korea with a pretty routine uh, 3-0 win over Lebanon. Um, how are we feeling, guys? I mean, it's the start to the Arnie era. Um, Mel, I mean, one of the things I remember greatly from the World Cup after the Socceroos last game was just how disappointed you were with how the team had gone and, and the fact that we didn't go for it. Um, how are you feeling now after, um, after, after the first side of, a, of the Arnie era? Which game was that? It's such a blur. Which one? I do remember being probably mildly traumatised because I was that emotional. I was angry and just going, we're better than this. People will say, oh, but we did well. We stayed in it. But we, after that first 17 minutes, I literally am talking about Chile and Brazil, so I need to move on. But it's it's that fierce, I guess, not just pride and blind faith. It's, it's belief because we know what we can do. But uh, I think I was just disappointed because I found myself as a fan, and yes, working in it as well over the years, but as a fan, just... Asking the same questions to, like, this time Johnny Aloisi, you know, Popovich, Schwarzer, you know, asking the same things about, but what could we do better and, and why why is it like? It's just the same overriding um, disappointment where people outside will just go, well, you're minnows anyway, and, and that's not how we feel. So I think I was just a bit tired um, of that feeling. 100%. Well, but Vince, I mean, we know that goals are an issue, and Arnie's set up with this, you know, he, he's aware that. Tim Cahill's gone, the new sort of formation with three number nines, playing narrow, high fullbacks, wanting to be proactive. For me, I'm just encouraged, look, we're not here, none of us are technical boffins, whether that's going to work or not, but after the Van Marvijk reactiveness and, and passiveness, you want to see Australia have a crack, and we know we're going to be playing against some, some stubborn defences at the Asian Cup, like we saw that you know South Korea and Lebanon tried in, in part. How are you feeling about you know, the start to the Arnie era and, and the way he's going about trying to conjure those mythical goals that we've struggled for for, for quite some time? Uh, pretty good, actually, to be honest. I don't know if that's just pre-tournament delusion or hope or I'm an idiot, I don't know. But um, he has changed things up tactically, and you're right, they're a little bit more direct, but I think the big thing is choosing players who are naturally more direct in their play. Um, last night, um, Al Mobile was great, and Martin Boyle, like... Uh, like, people keep talking about international football. You can't go and recruit players. Well, like, yeah, you can, apparently. Well, you just find someone who's got an Aussie dad and sign him up. Martin Boyle was outstanding last night. Um, really the kind of player who Australia has needed for, for quite some time, just with his willingness to take on players, run through the middle, um, make things happen. Had an assist as well as two goals and probably could have, like, almost created two other goals for Tommy Urich. Should have had a hat-trick himself. He's in absolutely everything. So... You know, two guys like that, you throw in your, your season campaigners in like Leckie and Cruz, um, uh, Jamie McLaren, uh, who I think will be a player who could definitely 
um, you know, profit off a lot of those sort of things going forward. Um, I'm excited about where it can go. That's brilliant. And you're off to the Asian Cup as well. I am indeed, I think. And watch I mean, this we'll space. See. We've still got watch to get space. you know the traveller you know, all sorted and all that, but I should be there. Now, Dave, obviously we're going to touch on England a bit later, but I know you follow the Socceroos uh, as well. Yep. Um, what have you made of the, the last two games? And 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 I guess the the feel around the team, you know, the the, the way that they're um, you know that the, the Australian public is getting behind them and 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 the chances going to defend you know a pretty big crown in January. Yeah, I think that. Um... Like Vince, I thought they started pretty well the first few games. I'm not sure how much Arnie would have learned from from last night. Um, Lebanon weren't weren't great sort of opponents, I have to say. Um, but yeah, there's it's sort of the the shape is starting to take play, uh, sort of starting to form. Um, it looked it reminded me it spells of the way that obviously that Sydney played in the last couple of years. Um, and they were very reliant on their fitness. They would sort of steamroller teams in the last sort of half an hour. Usually, you know, if things weren't going on, going well, he'd bring on someone like Bernie Abini, or um, if that didn't work, he would have sort of David Carney or Matt Simon and their unique skill set. Um, so without, you know, I'm not, this isn't my sort of... Um, You're not suggesting I'm not stand- off the bench, are you? <laughs> Not directly, but you know, um, I do like drawing him. So if that could, but yeah, like Vince was saying, with um, with Martin Boyle, he had that very sort of direct style, and um, for the first half hour against South Korea, they look they look strong, and for the first hour against Lebanon, they look good. But strangely, they seem to run out of steam a little bit, which is slightly different from what we saw from Arnold teams in the past, but. Yeah, signs are good as to whether the Australian public are behind them or, or not yet. I think, I don't know how many people sort of knew that they were playing beyond, you know, well, beyond that, soccer yeah. fans in Australia who follow the team naturally. So, yeah. yeah. I think one of the things that encourages me about this era as well is, you know, what is the Arnie factor. And he has had a direct impact. And I was doing the maths on about 10 players in this squad, bringing them through from whether it was the Mariners or Sydney FC, I think coached them at the Olympics. And in this short space of time he's got to prepare the team, I'm really hoping that man management and the way he can galvanise the side. I mean, I've kind of found Arnie, since he's taken on the job, being like the cat who stole the cream. I even asked him that at a press conference. I said, Arnie, how happy are you? Like, you look like you're just absolutely just stoked to finally have been in this position. And I'm kind of banking on a lot of that team atmosphere being a really strong part of what gets the Socceroos' defence over the line. But a couple of things to, that I'm intrigued by going forward as well is I'm not sure people would spend so much time on Timmy Cahill, but I think Milay Yednak's loss is going to be a big one too. And even just his um his inspiration, I think Mark Milligan's a great choice for the captaincy because he's a great spokesman for the game. But I reckon Vinny, that central midfield is going to it's it's not a foregone conclusion. They're just throwing Moy, throwing Longo, throwing Logic together. I'm not sure it's a foregone conclusion to success. Yeah, me either. Um, like the jury's still out. They could absolutely smash it in a tournament, I'm not too sure. Um, but I have the same sort of uh, reservations. Yednak is a, is a huge loss, just an absolute giant of a human being like with such presence. Um, it felt like he could pull the team out of like a hole if they were ever in one. Mm. Which and, he did in Hon- yeah, Honduras. Um, and I don't know who will pull us out of a hole if we were to fall into one at the Asian Cup. Like, no one with that level of just personal inspiration mm. or, you know, it, it's... It's tough, and I guess that's sort of a load that everyone will have to carry collectively in his absence because there's no get an act kind of guy that you can swap in there and, and be that presence in the room. Um, and losing Timmy as well, I'm guessing he, he, he sort of served the same role over the last few years. Um, so let's just hope everything goes off without a hitch and we don't fall into holes exactly. because I don't know what would exactly. happen. There's no doubting Moyes, Aaron Moyes, the man in terms of a skill, but yeah, just by his personality, he doesn't have that that kind of presence. But you think going forward, uh, in terms of influence, it's got to be like it's got to be Trent Sainsbury as someone who really steps up, and and even Matty Ryan as well. We know how how fantastic he's been in terms of form, but he's matured and he's got he's got a presence and he's got and, and at the absolute top level as well. So I think they're going to have to step up, and hopefully we'll see it. Um, whereas Moy, maybe he needs to learn to you know use his voice a bit more. But we know how brilliant he is a footballer. Just on Sainsbury, I think he had a rough 
couple of games, I think. He didn't yeah, have I agree a with that. huge amount to do for a long spell against South Korea. And then what he did have to do, you know, he was out of position and caught napping a bit when, when for their goal. And he had a few moments last night. Um, so I'm not quite sure what's what's going on there. I don't know if it's the pressure of spending an extended period of time with your father-in-law mm-hmm. in Arnie. I mean... That, is is that... it decision-making with him? Maybe. Career decision-making or...? On the, on the field. Yeah. I think sort of positionally a couple of times he got caught out. And perhaps when... And I speak from a position of no authority <laughs> or experience, but, you know, they weren't troubled for long periods, so maybe... You know, your concentration slips a little bit and, you, you know, your mind wanders and you, you go off into your own head, as I have already twice during this. this <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that effect. <laughs> I, I don't know if he's necessarily a, a guaranteed starter anymore. Like, Milos Dejanek is, is going really he was, well. He was yeah. sensational yeah. last night. He was. Um, and Milligan is your captain, so he's there. Um, and Matt Yerman is probably a little bit stiff to... I mean, that's probably what you get when you move to Saudi Arabia, I guess. You, you fall back in the pecking order a little bit, but... Um, Trent's going to need some game time and he's going to need to play some games without making these, what we hope or believe are uncharacteristic mistakes. But he's sort of making a few too many of them for a guy who we should be depending on in defence. When, when was um, the last time you were truly impressed by him? Uh, look, my memory's not great, but like, there was a, probably in the, the World Cup qualifying, I reckon there was a beast in one of those games. But he was also carrying injuries. He was, he was big against well. France. He was big against France. He would be really impressed against France. Yeah. Uh, this guy, it's been a long time since he's played at club level. Mm. And he's always he's always stood up for the Socceroos despite that. But I, this was the first time I actually thought he just looked a little bit sluggish. Mm. So we need him. We, we absolutely need him. Oh, we're but, a better side yeah. when he's in it and playing well. But um, just is that going to be happening? Who knows? And I guess the, the curly sort of postscript to all that is that it's his father-in-law is going to have to make the decision. Is he going to you know, fall on the side of uh, of his of his son-in-law, or or is he going to be ruthless as he should be in that scenario? It's it's going to be interesting. We're going to have to wait and see, I guess. It, it is definitely an area to follow. Look, just to wrap up, I mean, I'm worried about Tommy Urich. Um, I'm worried about um, that out and out number nine. So I think that's Jamie McLaren's, McLaren's position to probably lose. Um, but I also think big props to to Ryan Grant and Josh Risden. I thought both stepped up in that right back berth, which has been a a problem for us. And all of a sudden, they've added a little bit of um. Uh, there's pace and, and energy and um, match fitness to that position. So, look, just lastly on the on the Socceroos, we, we, we touched on it earlier, we want to pay tribute to Timmy Cahill, but I think, and Dave, your cartoon last week just touched on it brilliantly about how during the World Cup, all the sort of in, intelligent analysis that should have gone on about the Socceroos kind of just got parked to the side about should Timmy play, why didn't Timmy play, bring Timmy on. And then you had a, a panel in your cartoon that just as we're ready to move on, uh, how many minutes is Timmy going to get? Five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes mm. in that field? He got the send-off that we wanted to get. He got the chance to go out there and we got to pay tribute to him. I think it's fantastic that we start to respect the past. I think if this is a way to start to do that, then that's a, an important symbolic move um, by the Federation. Um, but I think it's time now for the Socceroos to have an identity beyond Cahill. And it's incumbent on everyone in the game to make sure that we position these stars properly and that we can play a game against Lebanon and not need to market it on Tim Cahill's farewell. But Vince, one of the things that maybe stopped the publicity for the game, and Dave mentioned did people know it was on, was obviously there was massive distractions this week. Now, we, this podcast, we said we wanted it to be energetic, passionate, we want to move on to really exciting things. But we're going to touch on it really quickly for anyone that's not aware about what happened on Monday, where it was quite a significant moment for Australian football. Yes. And you uh, were there. I was. Uh, it was the first and last AGM, hopefully, that I will attend in my <laughs> life. Um, interesting just to be in the room, but, my God, dead boring um, at the end of the day. Um, but massively important because the Lowy era in Australian football is over. Uh, we've got uh, four new board members. One of them, Chris Nicker, is our new chair. These are the people who are going to be responsible for getting us out of this rut, I guess that you could say, Australian football is in at the moment, or hopefully not, dicking the hole a little bit deeper and getting us into more trouble. Um, so uh, so we've got Chris Nicker, Heather Reid, a very respected um, football administrator and women's football pioneer from Canberra, uh, Joseph Carozzi, a PwC partner, former GWS Giants uh, deputy chairman, and a guy who... Uh, sort of has all the context contacts that you would want uh, from the big end of town in terms of uh, sponsorship and, and, and ways to bring more money into the game. 
uh, and Niku, who was on the board previously, and and a lot of the warring parties in Australian football all seem to recognise as a pretty reasonable guy who can be, uh, you know, the person who can who can find compromises in difficult situations. Um, so they've got a lot to do. Um, they need to figure out what the A-League is going to look like going forward, spin it off independently, what that means for the rest of the game in terms of finances, uh, when are we expanding, where are we expanding to in terms of the A-League, what does professional look, uh, football look like beyond the A-League, are we going to have a second division promotion relegation, what's doing with our junior national teams, why aren't they qualifying for World Cups, why is it so expensive to play football at any level? There's, a, there's an enormous amount of questions that this board needs to tackle that were, I don't know if you could say they were left unresolved by the Lowy administration. They were getting to them all, I guess, in, in, in time. Their sluggishness on some of them is, I, I guess, the reason why they got uh, kicked out of the game, so to speak, by the other stakeholders. Um, so we're at a pretty critical juncture. Uh, in, in the sports development in Australia. You've studied it closely. You've been reporting it from back Way in AAP days. <laughs> really quickly, um, are you confident that the inertia can stop or is there still going to be more sort of politicking and, and, and problems and more of the same in the horizon? You can never be too confident when it comes to Australian football politics. Um, we, we've elected the board uh, and they've got a little bit of work to do on the short term, but you know, discussions will continue on the within this new league's working group, which will be formed shortly to figure out what the A League looks like moving forward. As I said, in terms of spinning it off independently, and um, it's, it might look very similar to the Congress review working group. So there might be a little bit of wrangling between state federations and A League clubs and the PFA over who gets what and how that works going forward. So I, the politicking in terms of getting blokes on the board might be over, but there's a lot more politics that's going to play out in the background and hopefully it stays in the background and we all end up with the with a positive result because look the politicking will be worth it if we all get to somewhere where we need to be basically like it's natural these things have to happen sometimes let's just hope it gets us somewhere but we know the game's vast potential mel we know your passion if you could go in there and demand a priority list um what's what's the top of your wish list People will talk about expansion and promotion, relegation, all those things that we want to happen and obviously grassroots, the whole bit. Um, the financial side of things, I'm, I'm not, it's not rocket science and I'm not the first to say it, uh, but that's obviously the real worry. And as we were discussing before, A-League owners in the past that have been fighting to have their independence set up have said, uh, a couple of them have said, you know, we can raise more money than they could anyway in sponsorships and now is the time to, to prove it, whether they can or not. Uh, hopefully they can. No one wants to see any of this fall over, but... Uh, as Vin said, there's so many questions, but we've had these questions for so long now. And have any of you ever felt like that uh, being so close to football that it's like a family member, that to the outside world, they ask you, this is going, you know, Clive Palmer, there's so many different eras over the over the years where they say, what's going on? What's with that? And you feel like it's a family member where you go, no, they're fine. It's No, it's they mean well, it's fine. You know, so you're always kind of trying to explain because I don't know why it's sort of separate to the rest. Uh, but it just, you know, in terms of the other codes in Australia. But uh, it's something that could be spectacular. I still pine for the, 20, firstly, 2005-06 and 2012-13. In my head, the glory days mm. and things were absolutely flying. We were getting everything right. Qualified for, for Brazil and things like that. Not everything because there have always been things to sort out, I should say. But, you know, the Wanderers came in. They did what they did. Del Piero was there. Heskey was there. The Mariners won the grand final. It was just, it was a very, very special time to be involved and then for things to plateau and if anything go a bit backwards is criminal if you ask me. Well said, well said. Well, and we're lucky enough to have Dave here who, you know what, with the book you just released, uh, full of your best cartoons, I reckon we could use that as the manifesto for Australian football. Keep things simple, tell, tell it like it is. Yeah, maybe. I think, uh, I'm still trying to get past the idea of having Clive Palmer as a family member. But... I'm sorry that I met I don't know, he just sprung to mind. <laughs> Bring him back. Uh, Bring him back. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, you've both made excellent points about the things that, you know, we hope to see. But personally, if someone... If they're too competent and too respected, I'll have nothing to write about. And, you know, my career's over. So, um, yeah, I hope that they, they, they are able to get back on track. But, you know, give me the occasional blip. Man's got to eat. <laughs> it's Australian soccer. You will always be fine. <laughs> Matter from heaven for you, Dave. I've got no doubt at all. Speaking of absolutely ridiculous, and this doesn't appear in a cartoon down the track, um, I'd, be, I'd be surprised. How do you go drawing Harry Redknapp? I love drawing Harry Redknapp. What about I, Harry Redknapp in a jungle? 
I, I did actually put him in this week's cartoon. Um, I haven't seen him in the jungle, but um, but yeah, I I really hope that his spell in Australia convinces him to come back and take a take a, uh, a more hands-on approach with the South Coast Mariners. His <laughs> um, lingo hasn't improved because apparently he said, "I'm just going to go visit the dummy." <laughs> oh, <laughs> and if you don't know what I'm referring to, of course, he's he's on uh, the English version of "I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here." So it, it's pretty gutsy for for a, a bit of an older guy to go on there and have a crack. One of the things I've loved is the first thing he did was he had to stick his hand into a to an unknown box full of all sorts of jungle, you know, jungle animals and and see what was in there. And all of a sudden, Twitter straight away, bang, puts him in the car window, car window open, hand in there, and what's he push it, pull out? Nothing from. Tottenham's trophy cabinet. So uh, we're going to have a bit of fun with Harry there. And you say he's old. He's 71 years of age, and it's worth it just for some of the stories. Not watching the show, because I think we'd all get dumber, dare I say, watching. I shouldn't say that, but it's out there now. Uh, but I've read some of the quotes that he's come up with, some of the stories he's telling in, in references to his wife, who refers to him as Mr. Pastry, who's, you know, it's a comedy reference in, in England, a character over there, and also how he ran over his wife's yeah. ankle. So, you know, just, just the, you know, the stories that are coming out are, are pretty funny. Yeah, he's a funny character. She, his wife's fine, which is why I can um If there, was, there is an Australian version, anyone from Australian football would like to see exposed and uncut? Three off the top. <laughs> Clive Palmer. Oh, my God. <laughs> Miron Blyberg. Yes. Kenny Lowe. Kenny Lowe. Socceroos assistant, Kenny Lowe. Unreal, eh? Unbelievable. Life comes Story's out your past. Talk about man management and dressing room uh, atmosphere. Kenny's got to be got to be good for that. Well, mate, that's why we're looking so good at the moment. I reckon <laughs> that Kenny Lowe just gets in there, sorts things out. Happy days. Um, I would stick Kevin Muscat in there Ooh. just to see him end the career of a minor celebrity, um, or you know, two foot a cassowary. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it could go pretty well. <laughs> I did consider Muskie probably for different reasons, but uh, now I can't get past the reference to Miron Blyberg because I haven't uh, heard his name in a while. But even just from the old school um, Vinigrella, someone like him or someone like uh, Mark Bresciano, just to hear them just be the real them and hear the stories, you know, because it, you want to know what they really think and you want to hear. I'd these. love to hear about Bresh's business plan. Mm. 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 What are we talking about there? Just a real detour in his career path. From it's always a quiet one, Dave. Midfield maestro to um, was it me- medical marijuana. Mm. Does that make him a drug lord? Or is it like <laughs> you have to use a different term? because? It's Can like... we say cartel? Yeah. I don't no, know. we're joking. We're Breaking joking. bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. Danger. That's a good series there. Yeah. Yeah. Bresh and Vinny. Well, Vinny, of course, is a player manager now and, and pulls the strings in, in a number of areas with some of our big players and... And also with some expansion hopes in, in Melbourne as well. Well, guys, that's just a bit of, bit of fun. We, we wanted to have some random stuff each week. We'll have a bit more later on. But to the bread and butter of what we've been doing at Optus Sport over the last couple of months, and it's been, as I said, six massive mornings. We've brought, I don't know how many games. I think at one point I saw Slovenia and Slovakia playing at the same time, and I just <laughs> didn't know who they were playing. It was just all, all one little blur. But I think what's happened over the last few days is the stakes have gone up, is that the Nations League has been an absolute hit. And I've got to confess, when I first heard it, and even when I first heard that Optus were, were broadcasting, I thought, well, this is a pretty, not cheap, but a pretty cynical marketing gimmick by UEFA looking to make a bit more money, make, put, a, put a bit more on the line during these international windows. But what does stakes do? It actually changes the whole dynamic of games. And I think what it's almost done is it's put international friendlies to bed in a way. I mean, well, you hosted one of the, one of the games as well, and you've been yeah. across it. Have, have you enjoyed it? I enjoyed, actually, it was a couple of games because the other one was Croatia, England in Croatia, and that was a closed stadium. So that was awful, yeah. no intensity or yeah. anything like that. But, I, you know, that's a side That's probably Yeah, that was probably the only one. But I, yeah, really enjoyed it. Uh, it's, yeah, another reason to get excited about football. We're all still, well, I don't know, we're still recovering from the World Cup. It seems like a, a dream now, that overnight, what, month in our lives. But, uh, no, uh, yeah, any excuse to be excited about the big nations, and we've all got links to um, to other nations. You know, not obviously not just Australia. So, even Dave, even I have the the English heritage as well. So, um, you do. You, that means I either want to go against them, or I found myself getting excited. I think just even for Dad, like let him see them do something <laughs> something good. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm all for it. Yeah, so but the, I don't know if it's a negative for for the other for say Asia, for example, who can't get in and get decent. Um, Opposition, but I'm, I know I'm digressing there. It, well, it's definitely a good thing. Not at all, because it's the international calendar is now totally packed. Yeah. And 
at some point, play welfare has to come in. I think Jurgen Klopp did have a point when he's like, when are these guys actually going to stop for a break? But on the other hand, Dave, I mean, we saw Wembley. They were roused as England was coming back against yeah. Croatia. And the thing is, in a competitive environment, now Gareth Southcat has been able to build on that summer of goodwill from the World Cup. And instead of going, you know, 18 months to qualifying, can we beat a big team? Is Jaden Sancho up to what? Where are we at? Um, and then meandering through qualifying, as tends to happen, and getting to a World Cup and going, where are we at now? It's buoyant in England, and it was tremendous stuff. They, they've done well. Just on the, the Nations Leagues and just to, to back up what, what Mel was saying, I think having those meaningful games makes such a difference, and not just for the big nations, um, but also for, say, countries like Kosovo, who've only... Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. They've been uh, a recognized FIFA nation for a couple of years and they've won that. They've like cantered through their group. I think they won 4-0 earlier and they're, they're promoted up to, to Group C. Yeah. Um, so it's huge for them and they still have the European qualifiers so those smaller nations still get like players who play for, say, Gibraltar or whatever, will still get the experience of playing like against recognised international stars like Shane Long or whatever. So <laughs> they still have that. But on England, um, yeah, it's uh, it's been great. Like Gareth Southgate, what he's done is pretty phenomenal, and uh, it's quite a strange feeling to to feel so so positive. I mean, against Croatia um, on Sunday, you know, they go one down, and we've all experienced it before, and. I mean, it was against the run of play, the goal, and you expect then Croatia would control the ball, control the game, and England would, would drop away and be frustrated. But um, and there was a, maybe a five, ten minute spell where, where that looked like it would happen, and then they just rallied. And that's the first time they've come back to win a competitive match from being behind since the 1990 yeah. World Cup quarterfinals. It's astonishing. So for those of us of a certain age who have lived with this sort of... Um, those scars of defeat for all those years um, the younger generation of players who are in that squad don't have that so Jadon Sancho doesn't remember not qualifying for the 1994 World Cup he doesn't rem remember like countless penalty shootouts and disappointments he can probably only remember two World Cups like he's about eight or something yeah. so um, and just on Southgate like the, the positive culture that he has put into place around England is phenomenal I mean, it's only about 18 months since Sam Allardyce was manager. And it's hard to imagine that Allardyce would in enact that sort of cultural shift that we've seen now. I can't imagine the England players being on inflatable unicorns and, you know, laughing and joking <coughs> under, under Big Sam. Um, and the team also has balance. It's, it's confident. It's well prepared. Um, and... Uh, uh, I'm already starting to sort of get ahead of myself to think about what they can achieve, um, which is daft. I and mean, we were just about as far away as we can be from a major international tournament. And already I'm sort of daring to dream. Um, I think that the next step obviously will be the Nations League, the finals series or the semi-finals in Portugal to see yeah. how they go. Obviously, you know, seven months is a long time and, you know, injuries and the fatigue that you touched on there could could have an impact. But they're going pretty well, and they're definitely going to win the next World Cup. <laughs> that's, that's what it's done. It's put false hope into into all the fact. Well, 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 the, false the hope. The time is fantastic. Don't, yeah, you're going to break his little heart. <laughs> Dave, one of the funniest things I heard this week was a couple of Englishmen talking about England's success and really talking about really positive, and then they stopped and went, oh, does that mean the Nations League's not a very good competition? It <laughs> yeah. was like typical English mentality. <laughs> I wondered the same when I saw, you know, well, Switzerland... You know, top their group, and I thought, well, maybe Belgium weren't weren't quite at the races. Um, and you look at the the last four, and they're, they're probably not the the four teams who you would you would pick as being the best in Europe. But 
yeah. out of the beauty of it. Yeah. yeah. Hey Vince, what's a, stakes at play make a massive difference and one of the things I was doing for Optusport was monitoring all the other games and all of a sudden these, all these exotic fixtures, which otherwise we would never, ever, ever be looking at, became really quite interesting. You referenced Scotland-Israel this morning because of a, a little thing called promotion and relegation. It's amazing what stakes at play do and, and, uh, for competitive tension and, and interest. You want, you want to go there, mate, do you? <laughs> episode one, mate. We're going, We're going there already? We're going. Fair dinkum. No, you're right. When there is something at stake, um, it just human beings change. Uh, friendlies don't do that. It's just human nature. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it is good. Yeah, the promotion and relegation thing has added another another level of interest to it. Maybe Australia can apply to be in it like they do with Eurovision. <laughs> that, could be the, that could be the way forward. I don't like that it's during the Women's World Cup, though, the finals. Yeah, that's a good point. It's, there's just too much football, though. Yeah. Like, there's, there's too much football for me to get my head around, and I write about football for a living. Like, how can you possibly get around all of it? And that might be where the cynicism, my initial cynicism came from it, because it's FIFA and UEFA just trying to bite that mm. off that little bit too mm. much. But everyone's got around it. There's been interest in it. And even though it might be a little bit contrived, it's worked. Because, It'll be exciting. Because, but also, the, the playoff position, so every group winner has got a playoff position, so there is an absolute minnow. You're talking Kosovo. You're talking Belarus. Those types of nations, they will. One of them will be at the Euros. So it's actually, even though it's a little bit superficial or contrived, it's actually added something to it. Um, we've been very lucky on off the sport that for the last um, two lots of nation, nations league games, Didi Harman's been with us in the studio. And uh, before he he left this morning, we caught up with him for his thoughts on uh, what he's seen over the last week. Well, I think if you look at Netherlands' uh, progress, uh, the confidence they would have got out of top in their group, uh, they could have never got out of uh, however many friendly they would have played. Um, so I think for them it was probably um, yeah, a blessing in disguise it did come because um, you've got a chance to play competitive games against the two last World Cup winners. They came through it with uh, flying colours, unbeaten, top the group, go to the final tournament now in, uh, in Portugal next year. So I think for the progress of these players and the confidence of these players would have done them the world of good. So I think Netherlands is one of the teams that probably benefited the most from uh, their competition. Yeah, it's been brilliant to hear. I mean, Dini's an encyclopedia of knowledge and he does punditry all across the planet and um, he's been hard-hitting and pretty strong on Germany throughout as well. Um, we're going to move on to something different because, as I said, we want to talk about all sorts of stuff on, on this podcast. And one of the segments we're going to have is a bit of a quotes of a week to be able to bring in all sorts of tangents that we're going to go on. And this particular one caught my eye during the week. And as I said, we're really lucky because we can access anyone here at the Off The Sport Gagan pod. That includes Arsene Wenger. Well, um, you know, don't worry about the result. Uh, but, you know, the problem was with my jacket and... Uh, they are too long sometimes and the zipper doesn't work. And, uh, you know, in the end, because people were showing it all the time, I was, uh, I was very conscious and under scrutiny about uh, what I was wearing. Awesome fingers, Dutch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, Graham's guy has been sacked after one episode. That's brutal. But now we know why he always said he didn't see the incident because he's looking at his bloody jacket the whole time. Um, guys, um, fashion faux pas from Arsene Wenger. I've got to admit... Uh, being a, a bit of a you know humble journo myself, being on the couch the last couple of days has freaked me out because of the the Optus Sport seemingly no sock fashion wear. Um, Dave, you must have similar problems every time you do your cartoons as well, I imagine. Wearing socks, <laughs> fashion faux pas. Uh, like most freelancers, I <laughs> I dress appallingly, um, and if I dress at all. How many days in the week do you wear pants, would you say? Uh, it's summer, so um, this is the first time I've worn long, <laughs> long, I was going to say long sleeve trousers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with it. It's the first time I've worn long sleeve trousers <laughs> in, I guess, four or five months. Um, so, yeah, I'm feeling really overdressed, T-shirt and, and jeans. Uh, usually it's oh, why are we getting? <laughs> why, why, why did I continue with another go. sentence? Where yeah. we Tell me more about Where what sort of go. pants you wear, David. You know where Homer Simpson works from home and he ends up having a moo moo. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I am thinking of getting a floral maternity dress. Um, <laughs> sure. Can you put that on a panel one day? Where you can't do yeah. it. Talking of fashion, though, Mel. I mean, the sneaker situation mm. on the couch. Mm. A bit of a revelation. 
Well, yeah, it's uh, yeah, no, it's cool. It's very comfortable, I must say. But we do have a pretty strong trainers game amongst us. Uh, too much white at times, I think. You got to mix it up at times, and and don't feel bad, Dave. You and I, other Dave, were talking about you know the extent to which your trainers need to be white. I think don't worry about it. Just just be yourself. Yours are pristine though. Like yours well, could be so bright they could. The power of them could be harnessed to solve the energy crisis. <laughs> but I do, as I said, I do have a bit of a trainer's problem and I mix it up with different colours. Sometimes you get the three stripes with, the, you know, the red or the blue or the, the pink or maybe the pale pink. See, this is, you're right, how did we get onto this? <laughs> but the cold ankle situation is quite funny. The the no, the fact that someone at home has observed yeah, um, the fact yeah. that, you know, ankles will be cold. Yeah, and studio. someone on Twitter called out. I think off the sports panel needs a, a, a sock sponsorship because there was one <laughs> screenshot where we're all we're all you could see our ankles shining through. But um, one other thing that caught my eye this week, and it's it's very random. And I, mean, I guess Mark Bresciano and Vinnie Grella might want this type of success in their business. Anyone remember Tim Brown who played in the A League with yep. Wellington Phoenix? Tom so, Brown. Tom, Tom Brown. Tim Brown oh, with the Phoenix. Well, he in 2009 apparently he cooked up an idea to have environmentally friendly trainers. What a segue. I never thought that would work out. But from Arsene Wenger to trainers to Tim Brown, yes, we've gone there. And he's just released shoes with soles made from sugarcane. And his company, and he's, about, he's in his 30s, is valued at something like $2 billion, endorsed by Leonardo DiCaprio. I think Bresh might hope his business goes down that line. But can you think of anyone else, Vinny, who, I mean, you spend a bit of time chasing Matthew Flamini, Matthew Flamini to see if he was going to go to the Brisbane Raw. I mean, these are pretty um, pretty outrageous successes. He's rotch. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Brown is rotch. Yeah. Um, mate, look, why play football when you can make $2 billion cooking up some sort of side business? I would too. Um, it's a shame we didn't get uh, Flamini in the A-League this season because he... Um, he could have bought it. Yeah, he could have bought everything, basically. He could, be, he could have bought Optus Sport as well. Um, uh, and basically anything else he caught his eye on. But um, yeah, apparently bought a company just before he was about to commit to, to Brisbane Raw. A company in London couldn't find anyone to run it for him uh, and therefore wasn't able to commit to relocating. So that's probably one of the best excuses I've heard in terms of not being able to take up an A-League offer. Oh, I'm sorry, I've bought a new company. Mm. <laughs> what could John Aloisi offer in return when they <laughs> brought that one out? Yeah, not much. Not much I wouldn't have thought. Was it a shirt number printing company? Because they could be a sort of a Brisbane thing there. No. Okay, yeah. Move on. Yeah, he, he could have bought Brisbane Raw with the loose change in, his, in the centre console of his car, I reckon, Flamini. <laughs> They've been having an absolutely rough time. Yeah, it's not saying much, is it? But yeah, good on Tim Brown. When he left, uh, I remember asking him, you know, because he was still young, mm. why are you going now? And he just wanted to get started. He wanted to finish off his studies. He was going to Cambridge and then absolutely flying ever since. So good on him. Uh, I told you we we're going to have random stuff, and that was absolutely random. But I read that article. I thought, we have to talk about that because it's, it's really something I didn't expect to come across, and I read that in, in the New Zealand Herald. Um, well, last segment, guys, I mean, we talk about football overload. We've been, as I say, gorging over the last couple of days, and you throw the Socceroos in as well. But the Premier League's back this weekend, and we absolutely cannot wait for it. Uh, once again, we are very lucky to catch up with Diddy, Liverpool legend. And I started by asking him about how the Reds are actually going in his assessment this year, given the hype, um, but the fact that maybe they're not firing on all cylinders just yet. I said that all along, that uh, at some stage you've got to win a trophy, and I, I probably would have liked to see it last year. Um, but it's very hard because there's five, six teams who can win the Premier League this year. Um, and then they've got a cup competition, which give you a, a better chance. They've been to three cup finals with Jurgen Klopp, and they lost them all. And uh, I just feel you've got to make hay while the sun shines, and the sun has been shining for, for two and a half, three years, uh, and they couldn't get over the line. So I think this year, um, I think he's, he's there for over three years now, around three years. I think this year they, they have to win a trophy. They're out of the League Cup. So you've got the, the FA Cup, the League, and the Champions League. Champions League, there's no guarantee. They had a great run last year, um, and they've got a, a job on their hands to get out of the group, uh, never mind winning it. Two teams caught on their heels, Tottenham and Chelsea. They meet this weekend at Wembley. How can you see this, this one going? And uh, what do you make of these two sides? Chelsea going so well, mm. but maybe you know, they might hit some sort of robot because they develop. And Tottenham, they get down on themselves, the fans get down on themselves, but they're still in such a great position. Mm. Yeah, they have their constant uh, overachievers. I, I feel Tottenham, uh, they've not spent any money in the summer. Um, and what the manager gets out of them is, is quite remarkable. Um, I will think that Chelsea may have the edge 
in this one on uh, on Sunday at the at Wembley because I think since Sarri went in there, um, they're they're really well organised. They are uh, defensively very solid. Uh, Jorginho made a made a huge impact, um, and a Hazard in form uh, is is a game changer. And I just feel if you go through every position, um, I just think that Chelsea have a little bit more uh, quality in the dressing room as uh, as Spurs and. Um, they're not at their home ground. Everybody was expecting. I think psychologically, that that's another thing. Spurs should be playing at their new ground now. Um, it should have been open against Liverpool a few weeks back, and everybody would have looked forward to that day. Now they're still at Wembley. It's not their home ground, even though their record hasn't been as bad as it as it was uh, when other teams played there in the past. Um, but I still expect Chelsea to go there and win that game. We're almost a third through the season. We come back now, um, and things get really tasty heading into the festive season. What have you made of the the, the Premier League campaign so far? Well, as Diddy was saying, like City are obviously completely uh, are dominant, and the other clubs are sort of clinging on to their their coattails to a certain extent. But I've noticed that um, the the big rich clubs are really pulling away. They're they're not dropping points against the the. The, those sides outside the top six any longer and I think that's uh, a sort of show of their financial strength obviously sorry Mel Man United are the outlier um, not <laughs> it's, no, it's not quite going the same there but that that has been the, the thing that's really caught my eye um, but there there are still sort of pockets of interest from for the other teams like Bournemouth are going well um, Unbelievable story. And like individual players, like someone like Ryan Fraser at Bournemouth, who's who's come through, done really well. Um, he's only one point six three meters in height, so I Thank feel that he's uh, he's he's going in for 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 into bat for us uh, diminutive. Um, those of us with a low center of gravity, he's there flying the flag for us. So get on him. And then there's a play uh, players at big clubs as well. He's sort of forgotten about like Ross Barkley, who. Um, I'd sort of written off and I think lots of other people who follow the Premier League had sort of had written off as well um, but under Sarri he's completely changed um, he didn't have a great game for England against Croatia the other day uh, but against Spain last month he was mm. superb and Is that creativity England sort of yeah. said that we think we might yeah. miss and... Well there's the mythical sort of creative midfielder that England are, have been looking for probably mm. since you know since the 90s Um whether he will be that person, um, maybe not, but he's shown it such a, a huge improvement. So it's good to see that, you know, with the right coaching and the right, um, you know, encouragement, players or people can, can turn their careers around. He's also had all the tattoos removed from, from one of his arms. Clean start. Which makes no difference at all to anything. <laughs> clean start. Quite interesting. Clean. And I only discovered that after I'd drawn him in a cartoon, complete with <laughs> arm of tattoos in quite intricate detail, and then realised and then had to um, fire up the old Photoshop. That would have hurt. Apparently it hurts like hell. Get them removed, yeah. Mm. yeah brutal. It's funny how um, almost roles of reverse, because Ruben loved to shake with the revelation during the World Cup, and then they're trading places at, at Chelsea, and that's gone and translated on into England as well. I Just touching on Bournemouth, and I don't mean to segue in a second to Manchester United by saying that they are below Bournemouth with a negative goal difference. But... <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Good but, thing you didn't try this. <laughs> but anyhow, I mean, what a revelation. He's still got players in there that he had with him in League One. He's brought them all the way up. And the thing that I found amazing just doing a bit of prep for the Nations League is some of their players sprinkled around and were really influential. You mentioned Fraser, David Brooks, Callum Wilson made his debut as well. Um, Joshua King was off with Norway. And, and look, they've got a couple of tough fixtures coming up. So they've picked up points that they needed to so far. And, and they've got some of the big four clubs coming up. But regardless, I think it's magical to see a team um, really batting overs with their, you know, they only fit. Not much more than I think ten or twelve thousand in their stadium, so it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, um, so people probably know that I'm a Swindon Town fan, and traditionally, like Bournemouth would be scrapping it around with us in in League One. Um, so it does show what can be achieved with the right backing, um, albeit from from the owner or from. I mean, they've got their own sort of Russian oligarch or Russian owner as well, so. They're not quite this sort of tiny, struggling club. Um, but yeah, I'm sort of used to them being down in Division 3. And I sort of, I can't help but look at them sometimes and feel jealous and bitter 
I mean, it comes to me naturally. <laughs> but uh, but um, I do. Part of me does think, come on, come back down. You, you've spent too long there now. Get back down with us. Where now, you belong. Where you yeah. belong. That like come back under the rock, where the real Be sort in of, it together. Um, it in is? it together. In that we, you know, we're in it for ourselves, yeah. but we're in it together. Since I know you're, you're very focused on the A League and whatnot, but is there anything with the Premier League that you know jumps out at you from from early in the season? I do know with great interest uh, that United, who are the team that I actually support, are coming to town soon to to Perth. And, Absolutely, and Leeds United as well, who. Uh, with any luck, will be promoted and bringing Marcello Bielsa to not only Perth but Parramatta. Uh, it's just going to be outstanding. Yeah. Um, we're just waiting for confirmation on, on that final game in Parramatta. Yeah, that's but, a, um, it looks like a great off-season yeah. of, uh, of touring clubs for us. Absolutely. We've had a, an ability to attract those in recent years. So that's literally broken while we've been recording this podcast. Michael Bridges is over with Leeds United as their ambassador. It's going to be... Look, it's massive to have Manchester United on our shores, Mel. Um, but... Let's call a spade a spade. I mean, Mourinho seems to convince everyone after one regard win that he's back and, and antagonising everyone, but he's just a great revisionist because, I mean, in all honesty, as a fan, as opposed to outsiders like, like us watching United, how frustrating is it to see such great players playing the way they are? You said so many things I wanted to jump in on and now I can't remember which was which. But firstly, quickly going back, United and Leeds... Massive for United, huge, so many fans here, but also Leeds, so many Aussie fans, yeah. uh, Aussies that are Leeds fans, so that's going to be awesome. And if this is not a one-hit wonder, this podcast, we should go on the road for that one. I'm just decided. Oh, great idea. Um, Our executive producer, Rich Bayless's passion for Leeds yeah, might work in our favour It there. works, win-win. Uh, but getting back to, unfortunately, the subject matter, I think, you know, Dave, what you were talking about in terms of old mentalities and you get bitter, I don't, I don't feel bitter, but it's more that you're used to a certain way. Yes, you're used to success, from, but that's a, a, fa- a long, it feels like a, a faded memory at this point, but it's for different reasons, fine. Um, it, it's fine if we are bad for a reason, but... It's very, very, uh, it's heartbreaking to watch and infuriating when we're not having a go, when we're set up to roll over even at home. That that home um, Champions League match against Juventus was soul-destroying. Juventus were brilliant, don't get me wrong, but we did not get involved and we did not look like we wanted to get involved. And uh, I'm probably someone that, I used to like the Jose show back mm-hmm. in the day, but not at, not at United. I didn't want him to come to United. I know a lot of people did for good reason, but the wheels kind of fell off, I think, at Chelsea. And... The whole Jose show, make it about me, deflect, that's over now, if you ask me. And I don't know, there's some big-name players there that he's not getting the best out of that they might shine maybe at other clubs, or at um, which some of them have, or on a national, uh, on a national level. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the negative approach is not, you know, they like to say the United way. You just, you know, it's, you, you're entitled to expect a higher standard and for a reason. And it's kind of... Um, it's just it beggars belief, really, that players of this calibre are not... They, they do have, obviously, back in the day, they had the United product. The young guys go through. There are still some of those around, but um, they're sort of being put together with the big stars and it's not happening. It's, so, it's the Jose way now. Everything is about him. So it's about negative. his titles. Yeah, but it used to be, but it, there's no place for it anymore. What's he deflecting for? Having said that, City are on another planet and it's uh, incredible watching... It's scary to think how much more these guys are going to evolve yeah. under Pep pains me to say Liverpool have some brilliant players. I don't want Liverpool to do well. Yes, I'm going to get in trouble for that. Arsenal, very excited, well, very interested to see. I always liked watching Arsenal They're play. on the radar. Yeah, Arsenal, um, you Spurs, but Arsenal in particular, just to see what, what they might do. But for Man City, are a different planet. You know, I always wonder what would happen if a, a Martial or a Rashford was at City. I just yeah, but it used to be the other way around. Yeah, 100%. And you know, I was doing some research just reading during the week and it blew me away that Alexis Sanchez, I mean, you sign him on 500,000 quid a week. Mm. Uh, he's been, he's created more chances for United than anyone else. You wouldn't know that given the way that he's just been sort of in and out the yeah. side and looks like a, a broken man. And that, that's what I don't understand about Mourinho, um, about these, he's got these extraordinary players who just, he absolutely sucks the life out mm. of. Exactly right. And, as a fan, it just must be unbelievable. Which the, do you think he'll be in Perth? Um, I'm. Probably not. I. I hope not. Is that yeah? I, I don't. I'm on this podcast to not find any form of solution to any problem, but to say yeah, he's got to go. I don't have an answer as <laughs> you, to. You don't want him there. 
no, but I, but I also didn't want him to come in the first yeah. place because you uh, honestly back in the day that those uh, last few months at Chelsea, you could see the wheels fall off. You mm. could see the I don't know the flawed side of him. He aged about ten years before our eyes, and mm. that's fine. Who'd be a coach? It stresses you. We mm. see all of them turn grey quite quickly. Mm. Some can pull it off, like and you know you talk about Arsene Wenger and style and Pep Guardiola. He he looked. Like an aged man that first year at City when it didn't go to plan at all, but then he finds a way and evolves. And the next thing you know, he's someone that you do trust to come around. Where he, for some reason, people were questioning whether he'd last at City early on, which is a bit ridiculous in hindsight. You know what? Because he had something to fall back on. He had a substance. He had something that you knew he was trying to work towards. And what you don't get with Mourinho is that feeling that there's actually something or a root value that he's working towards besides, you know, basically talking about building up his own resume and, and making sure he gets those pragmatic wins, which these teams aren't buying into at no. the moment. No. I feel like managers have a, a shelf life, don't they? And Jose, his last season at um, Chelsea was, was dreadful and he got the United job off the back of that, which was maybe surprising. And yeah, they, they won the Europa League and you know they, they finished, I think, second in the, in the league last season. Which is incredible when you think about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. But his approach seems to be about maybe 10 years out of date. You know, that sort of that siege mentality that he's still trying to build um, and that sort of very hostile approach seems to be quite different from the other managers who are successful at the moment in, in the Premier League. So, uh, you know, you look at Sari and Pep and Klopp are quite engaging and sort of... Uh, at least have the the veneer of being sporting and, and have this sort of mm. um, friendly sort of attitude. I mean, it might all be a construct. It might it, it might be sort of a complete myth. But you know, Jose's ongoing battle with with the media it just becomes tiresome. You know, and I'm someone who you know who um, writes about that and does cartoons about that. Um, but I get bored of it like everyone else does like there were weeks when i think oh christ i've got to draw jose again um I mean, he's one of the only people i can draw from memory and it, took <laughs> me, it took me ages to to get the likeness right for him but now i don't even need to look at sort of a google, google image and he has become more interesting to draw as he's become older and he's sort of um you know his as his career is maybe sort of coming to an end his physical features are sort of collapsing a little bit and um you know, I'm a middle-aged man as well. So, again, you know, I'm with you there, Jose. But um, I can't remember what point I was trying to make here. I've gone off on a wild tangent no, about Jose's face. Yeah. Yeah. You're spot on, though, I reckon, like, um, about his approach being 10 years out of date because, like, times have changed since he was extremely successful. People have changed, like, social situations have changed and mm. I think players have changed too. And you might be able to get away with, like, treating your players like absolute crap 10 years ago. Yep. Uh, like he appears to still be doing... And the other three guys, like you said, are, are, seem to be the opposite, um, mm. at least on face value. And I think, you know, players these days, they don't want to be quite mollycoddled, but they want to know that the, their manager is on the same page as them and able to talk with them about, you know, problems on and off the field, tactics. You don't want to have a situation where the boss is, uh, you know, on another level and a guy who you can't approach and can't reason yep. with and deal with because... Uh, that just seems to lead to absolute disaster these days in a, in a team scenario. The best coaches uh, can speak to their players like human beings, I think, these days. Do you think... Um, so, Graham Arnold, when he was at, uh, at Sydney the last few years, seemed to have... be coming from that sort of... Uh, the, the Jose school of thought, you know, the way that... I remember when Chelsea came over here for a friendly a few years ago and there was almost like this powwow between... Um, Graham Arnold and, and Jose, at least in front of the cameras. And that seemed to be something that um, Graham Arnold was trying to sort of foster here, that sort of siege mentality sort of thing. But even Arnold, like you were saying earlier, seems to be um, enjoying like his, his new life and you know the, the new job. And he's had to change his approach a bit as well. Yeah, the players love him. I always think back to um, uh, the, the interview he did with Adam Peacock on, on, on Fox Sports. Um, where he was almost about to just sort of jump through the camera and bite Peacock's yes. head off. He was so angry. And yeah. and now you look at Arnold, he's, he's relaxed, he's chilled out. Mm. Um, he's very focused, but he's a lot more easygoing and seems to have a very strong relationship with his players. Uh, and hopefully that bodes well. And I just wonder what things were like in the latter days of Ange Postacoglu's reign with the Socceroos too, because he seemed to be going down 
if there's two paths, he seemed to be going down a little bit more of a mm. uh, Mourinho path in that it was a little bit prickly. Yeah. Um, quite often would uh, not talk to his players or, or leave them in the dark about things. Uh, and, then, and then, you know, spring selections on them on match day or or, or not talk to a new player when they arrive in Socceroos camp mm. for the first time and that sort of thing. Trying to be a little bit standoffish, but I don't know if it works anymore. Or maybe it does if you can pull it off. I, I don't know. It's fascinating stuff. And one thing about Arnie, I remember interviewing at the turn of the year in Sydney's first big season. And we touched on that. And he said to me, I looked in the mirror at the beginning of the season, I didn't like the man I was becoming, or I didn't look like I like what was coming back at me, and I think that's been pretty clear since then. And I'm, I'm, I have, I don't, I don't day. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah don't I'm we there all. in my moo moo. <laughs> yeah. I don't like what I've become. Yet. Don't we all? But I think one man who probably doesn't have any mirrors is probably Jose. And, and one thing I can't get my head around is complaining about transfers compared to Juve, compared to the other teams, because he just spent a truckload. But we've rambled on for long enough. But hey, one did thing, did you say no mirrors? Because I reckon he's surrounded by mirrors. By the way. <laughs> Well, if he's looking at them, he's not contemplating or being very reflective at all. You're actually right, because one of the funniest anecdotes I've heard is his office at Real Madrid. He had a full life-size cutout of himself sliding down after that famous Inter Milan. So you're probably right. He probably has lots of mirrors, but he's not thinking about much of what's coming back the other way. So guys, speaking of transfers, I mean, I've had a great time and I'm glad that we were able to get our transfer policy right for episode one. Hopefully, we're back and there's no relegation for episode two and we're we're back next week for another episode of The Gagging Pod. But thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for tucking into a lot of football chat and I am sure there's going to be a hell of a lot to talk about next week again. Loved it, Dave. Well done. Thanks, guys. Cheers, guys. And to you out there listening, I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, jump on iTunes, tell your friends about it, uh, make sure you rate us nice and highly, and then more people will find out about us. And hopefully, we're back next week. Cheers. Enjoy your football in the meantime.